the dissociated selves need to get into conflict mm-hmm. within us, Ooh. right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we don't feel safe enough to do that on our own. So that's where the therapist comes in and right. they take on those dissociated selves. And that's where the conflict happens because I think conflict needs to happen <sighs> externally yep. first for them to be able to happen safely internally for that to then be able to happen externally outside the therapy room. Ooh, that is really well framed. Hey, everybody. Welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and more curious life. I'm Scott. And I'm Mace. Welcome to episode 175. Oh, yep. Every five episodes is what a psychological... Psychoanalytic inspired topic. Yeah. It used to be Enneagram every five episodes. We've shifted. (laughs) We are here tonight. We are talking... This is the second time we're talking about multiplicity. Mm -hmm. Multiplicity part two with Brian... We are in the house. Brian Pendergast. Everybody cheer and clap. I'll push the... <laughs> Here, let's just do this. No, it's the laugh track, dude. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's not a good I start. I only have a laugh track. We're laughing at Brian. <laughs> <laughs> it's Brian. <laughs> it's the comedy hour. <laughs> I only have a, that was meant to be claps, but I only have a laugh track, everybody. Um, um, okay, so you two have known each other since college? Yeah, I actually... Um, We'll do a quick introduction to you, for you, everybody. But I, I think Brian actually might have been the first person I met at SPU. And wow. we were taking a test in that big conference oh, room. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Prior to moving in. Yeah. And it was only like 10 people. I don't even know what the test was. Some sort of like Spanish placement or something <laughs> test. <laughs> Probably Spanish yeah. placement. And I was like, I think we were both decked out in our Abercrombie clothes. We certainly you know? yeah. were. <laughs> like, oh, I wonder if I'll be friends with that guy. Another Abercrombie guy. <laughs> oh, another preppy boy. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, yeah, I mean, we 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 were we were friends at SPU. Uh, you know, I, I don't think Brian and I were like the 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 bestest of friends, like the closest friends, but we were definitely in the same crowd and we were both theology majors. Yep. Um, and then became youth workers. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, between the two of us, I mean, we, we could tell like that'd be a whole nother podcast episode of like just sharing youth ministry stories. Yeah. Because I mean, you got a job, I think before I did even as like a youth pastor, yeah. And very quickly you were like moving, you were the person that sort of ushered me into sort of like postmodern Rob Bell, Brian McLaren, sure. uh, emerging church. I didn't yeah. know what that was, but you kept saying, have you read Velvet Elvis? Have you read a new kind of Christian? Yeah. And I was like, what? Have you heard of Brian McLaren? I started questioning all yeah. that shit. Yeah. Yeah. An early questioner. Yeah. And I loved it too as a youth pastor because you'd have me come speak at some things and it'd be like, oh, we, we let kids listen to swear words in the van. And I'm like, oh, cool. You're so hip and edgy, Brian. <laughs> I've always been known yeah. as hip and edgy. Yeah. And you Not. were, we were watching the NUMA videos and you would try to sometimes often replicate the NUMA vibe in a sermon. True. You know, you'd be like, I'm at a coffee shop. I'm having a conversation. This is casual. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe a nice place to start just as an intro to you. I mean, obviously, please say whatever you want that you think is important. But like, I mean, what happened post-college in terms of like you discovering your career? Sure. Currently? 
Yeah, I was questioning some of the stuff that was going on in the church as a youth pastor and started going to grad school at the Seattle school. It was called Marshall Graduate School back then. And in taking some of those classes, because the theology and the psychology cross over so much, I realized that I just really liked the psychology and just switched and... You came in as an MDiv? Yeah. Interesting, I didn't know that. Yeah, and quit my youth pastor job and went full-time into the psychology track and just... From there on, I knew I was going to be a psychotherapist. That's so, awesome. And then from then on, I did psychoanalytic training at a place in New York that um, kind of focused more on psychoanalysis. So, Are you like PsyD or? I am not. That program in New York does not offer a, a doctorate. Okay. Cool. I don't even know what the initial. So is it like are. a certificate? I think it's a certificate yeah. in psychoanalysis. There are yeah. probably some letters, but I've never <laughs> used them behind right. my name. Right. <laughs> And and for you, is it more of like a personal journey, like wanting that training? Because do, do certain clients look for that? Or I think I was fascinated by my supervisor, who was a psychoanalyst hmm. uh, at the time, and he just ushered me into this way of thinking that felt like it it fit who I was mm-hmm. and the type of working with people of uncovering the unconscious, but also very relational too. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, psychoanalysis has quite a history of non-relationality and now there's a lot of relational psychoanalysis and that's the part that I fell more um, in love with. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to jump quickly, but I'll just say it comes up in the book too of, I can constantly get reminded of like all these misconceptions that people have of Freud and psychoanalysis just in terms of the development Mm -hmm. psychoanalysis Mm -hmm. because people would say it's not, I mean, you two correct me if I'm wrong, sort of this objective analysis uh, analyst, like making some judgments on the person, but, but you can use the relational elements that arise in the midst of the therapeutic context. So you, you, you can be present as a person. I think that's a development that came about in the 80s. I okay. think yeah. Freud did not practice very right. relationally. He, he claimed objectivity, but part of that was because he was a child of the Enlightenment. And yeah. so he was amongst all these other physicians, and he had to prove his theory because they were all like science, science, science. And so right. he had to claim some objectivity, whether he believed it or not. He had to, to just to fit in and get his practice to be recognized. Mm. Mm. I wonder what he would think about the state of things now. I I, I like to think <laughs> that he would like it. <laughs> I think so. Yeah? Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, he's rolling over in his grave. Right. <laughs> These idiots. <laughs> These, this is not he's it. He's got a cigar. And he's just <laughs> <laughs> down there angry. Um well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess just thinking about um, Freud, I, I think I think when I try to explain it to people as a very much more and more, more and more lay person than you two, like Mace is continually be, like surpassing me in knowledge of this stuff because <laughs> I'm more of like a fanboy. But like um, it seems like it's almost like a religion, you know, to, it requires faith to enter into it. And, and Freud almost feels like... <laughs> Moses or something. You know? I, I've heard people talk about how it's like psychoanalysis. It's like you can think of like religion, science, and art. And it's like none of those things. Mm-hmm. It's a different thing. And also playing with all those things. Sure. Oh, you said that in the book too, science and art. Yeah. Those, yeah. those feel important to me in mm-hmm. the midst of this. Because the other thing that I think you're noticing in the last like 20, 30 years, it really started with George W or George H. Bush and the decade of the brain, 1992 mm. 
2000, he started it, where neuroscience advancements just took off. Huh. And we were able to learn so much more about the brain than we had known previously. And, and attachment theory really took off even more so. And then at that point, even though it was started in the mid hmm. uh, 20th century. And so, yeah, the neuroscience, it feels important to be able to speak to what's going on with people from a scientific perspective, but to not get locked into that. And hmm. then to realize there's like so much art to mm -hmm. relationships and the way that we relate to ourselves and the way that we relate to environments. Mm. Dang. Yep. I'm already excited. <laughs> <laughs> There's a multiplicity to the process. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. So you obviously started a private practice and you're a therapist. Yep. Everybody, Brian's a therapist. Um, and then I guess to fast track your journey, uh, you wrote a book over quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> it started as a blog. I, I just knew I was passionate about writing about the multiplicity of self because mm -hmm. it felt like an area that I had learned a little bit in my psychoanalytic training program and then in my own therapy, I just kind of uncovered different parts of who I was and thought, gosh, why isn't there some sort of way to talk about this that doesn't, isn't a book written to clinicians? Yeah. Because like so many mm -hmm. books are written to clinicians. And then I see on like, whether it's Instagram stories or people that are writing on their own blogs or videos, people saying like, I've got this part of me that thinks this and this part of me that thinks this. It's like, we're already talking as if we right, believe right. in a multiplicity mm -hmm. of self. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's not a lot of like language that we can play with clinically that is for lay people that mm -hmm. is for people that aren't in the clinical world and mm. so I was like I want to start writing about this it started as a blog but it kept coming together in a cohesive way that I was like I should just write a book I don't know what the hell I'm doing but I'm just gonna write a book you know it's so interesting I, th I feel like I get what you're saying because up until the past two years I haven't or last year I guess I didn't know about the concept of multiplicity and yet I've been like thinking and mulling over the ideas around it. But it wasn't until like being in places like clinical settings or reading work for school that I'm like, Oh, there's whole theories of this and there's a whole robust line of thinking, but I don't think it has really reached lay people really quite yet. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I've tried to write in a very like down to earth accessible way. Like it's, it's, and I've oversimplified it. Like I've mm -hmm. even said that in there. I'm like, this is an oversimplification. I've taken it too far into the simplicity realm so that people can then like tear it down and play with it and make it what works for them. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I just, I, I think sometimes we need to push things too far in order for then like something new to kind of be adopted. And mm. so I was, I was wrestling, like I could be more abstract about this. And I was like, Yes, and I think I just want to spell it out and then let people be annoyed if it's spelled out too cleanly and push back on it as needed. Like, let the abstraction be in that relationship instead mm. of just going straight abstract with it. It's a very secure way of writing a book, I feel like. Huh. <laughs> very secure attachment style, Brian. Well, just like, yeah, <laughs> just go so ahead. <laughs> like, go ahead and, like, mess with it. It's okay. It, it, can, be, it can be worked with. It can be played with. Yeah, I think that's what gets missed sometimes about security and attachments. We think that security and attachments means an absence of insecurity. Right. And it's not, right? It's right. you have the ability to move in and out of insecurity and security. That's what security feels like to me. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's... You guys it's, sound like you've talked about this. Uh, I'm like, I'm like you Mace sound like my thought about it. <laughs> 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 no, I think, I, think, I think you do make that point in the book, and I think it's something that we've talked about is becoming familiar with these selves. I mean, it if it's a self that's hiding behind the curtain and it's an insecure self, you're like, right. Hey, let's get to know this self and it's yeah. okay. And that's fine. 
Um, yeah. It's scary, but it's fine. I, I, I mean, it's interesting too. Like, I think I like the idea. I mean, guess this would be an episode someday of like the idea of disruption. I think is important, and <laughs> I've I've gotten re- utterly rejected on Facebook with this. I, I keep trying to say, can I? I keep asking people like literally on my Facebook view, I'm like, can I, can I just do like performance art here on my Facebook? Like, I don't, I want to mess with people. Yeah. And people are like, no, don't do that. And people are like, no, nobody's ever been like, great. Sounds like a great idea. That would be fun. Everybody's like, no, <laughs> and I'm like, dang it. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're including Mace. <laughs> like, please don't. But I am like, I, I, I feel like there's value to like poking at people and, and, and I, I'll post something sometimes and, and I'll get all these responses and, was like, oh, you could have phrased that better. I'm like, yeah, but these responses say more about the people responding than me. I, I don't even really know what I meant by that. And look at how upset people are. You know, I'm like, <laughs> isn't that interesting? Maybe you are the right person to do that. Then. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I've I've dipped my toe, but like, yeah, no, it's true. It's like, uh, I, I like that. I like that. I like that um, posture towards writing a book. It's like it, it feels a lot more playful. Um, and, and I've even talked about like the spirit of no small thing being sort of like pop education. Like it doesn't right. all have to be for academics. Mm-hmm. You know, people need this information. Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I think that's why we try and take topics, something like defense mechanisms or multiplicity and have a conversation. Cause that's more what people are actually doing in their real lives as they're sitting around having conversations in their homes or at right. parties by themselves, you know, right. as opposed to going to lectures. Yep. We, we live in an actual house with actual people who are doing <laughs> real things. things. Some people have a breadstick. Oh, no, that's uh, <laughs> those chopsticks. <laughs> uh, um, okay, what are you titling the book? It's called The Curtain. Okay. And the subtitle is Tales of Human Love and Personality. Ooh, ooh, what, what does the curtain mean for you? Um, for me, it fits with this the stage metaphor, the hmm. theater metaphor of um, all parts of self are on stage mm. and interacting, and some parts of self are in the front. And, oh, this and is good. The spotlight and other parts are in the background. And is there a stage crew? I mean, I haven't brought that <laughs> up, but that's a beautiful idea for it. Yeah, well, we got to give me some credit for the book now. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> 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 yeah, there, and I play with different metaphors. Like some of my favorite ones are like um, a corporate boardroom, where That's if good. parts of self are seated around a corporate boardroom table, mm-hmm. where you know, is it just the quote unquote CEO that has the voice all yeah. the time, or yeah. are there parts of self that are are um, that are kind of off in the corner? Is like one's angry self, like way off in the corner, not allowed to get angry and mm-hmm. not allowed to have a voice, and can they come to the table and mm-hmm. speak up? Um, another one is like a 15 passenger van, which just like makes my little old youth pastor heart really happy. And like, oh, who's driving the van? Which self bonded, yeah. is driving yeah. the van, yeah. right? And I think for a long time, like I had a people pleaser self who was just like driving the van, both as a youth pastor and then, you know, in other parts of life. And mm. he needs to give up the keys mm. sometimes and mm. let other parts of self be known and uh, be seen. Yeah. The confident, overbearing dad self yeah. is driving now. Yes. Shut up, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me come back. And the there. people pleasing youth pastors in the back being like, no. No, no, no. Not this, this is what this is what this situation requires now. Yep. <laughs> I, this is just bringing up a lot for me. And it's because I've been thinking a lot about multiplicity and just parts of cells. And there's definitely parts of myself that, like, the word that I've come to is like neglected. Like, mm. What does it mean to have neglected a part of self? And then it's like I almost have this image of those parts of self that I've neglected are like Gollum. 
Mm. Like they've become oh. like, <laughs> like the literal character. Yeah, or, oh, like okay. they, they've been left to their own, and they and now like there's this interesting thing. Oh, of, they're like, stewing I've in a lake. This for so long. No, no now light. it's kind of scary, and I don't know how to be friendly yes. with this part of myself. Oh, what a like great a image! It feels so character. foreign. It feels so yeah. foreign, and then I'm like, are you gonna take over all of a sudden yes. if I let you in? If that I start talking so to you, yep. it's like, oh, I don't know. So it's like there, it does feel like there are certain parts, and I'm like, oh yeah, they're in the backseat of the van, and I. I'm scared that if I let them even come up one seat, they're going to come over and take over the car yeah. Ooh, and not let go. Right. Exactly. Yeah, this is good imagery. I love, yeah. I love the combination of your two images of like, we have the 15 passenger van and in the back seat is Gollum. Yeah. <laughs> <It's anger>. yeah. <laughs> nope. 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 You it's, stay back there. It's, it's a frustrated mace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And kind of yeah. scary. I like, Super I thought it's scary. like this word. Uh, I don't know. It's been it's been coming up a lot when we think of like unconscious. I, I I know unconscious is like not necessarily buried. Like I think psychoanalysts say it's like right on the surface, but subterranean, like something mm-hmm. underneath. Like mm-hmm. Gollum sure. is in the mountains, slithering around. You know, it's like yeah. ooh. Um, what I think that's the hard part about in my experience of multiplicity of excuse me multiplicity of self is so much of it is unconscious and like I can't all most of the time I can't plan to be like, okay, this self get up here and say something. I mean, there's, there's times, right. right? Mm -hmm. In in getting more integrated, there's moments where I can be like, okay, I'm stuck on a thought and a feeling right now. And that is not helping me. Like, how do I move into a different state of mind? But like most of the time it's just unconscious and it's more about asking in retrospect, what just showed up? Who just showed up there? Who was there? Who was that? (laughs) Dang. Yeah, you said in the book too, like 90, 95% of our thoughts are not, uh, we're not aware of. Right. Or whatever, right. or brain moment. activity. You know? Yeah. Okay, let me just <laughs> say, everybody, we're talking about multiplicity. Uh, I mean, uh, would we sum it up by saying, the theory is generally saying in a very simplistic way, of, like there's multiple selves that reside inside of us that we probably don't necessarily give enough airtime or pay attention to. And maybe there's something that I've experienced growing up uh, that there's this, this idea hovering around, whether it's in Christianity or general pop culture, that there is a core self that you're going to discover eventually. It's a great question. You know? And it's like, that seems to be very anxiety inducing. I'm like, I'm I'm 42 and I haven't discovered myself. Sure. Who am I? I think it's just as anxiety inducing for some people to possibly believe that there isn't a core self. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I think it go- cuts both ways. Yeah. I mean, I feel at this stage of my life, it feels liberating. Yeah. But I could see how some people yeah. would be nervous about that. Yeah, and I, I push on that a little bit in the book. Um, toward the end, I, I have like a, it's kind of weird. I have a frequently asked questions section because mm-hmm. I'm like literally trying to like meet every type of reader's self-state. Mm-hmm. People pleasing Brian. Right, right. <laughs> um, and that one of, that's one of the questions, like, is there a core self? And I think some theories of multiplicity, like internal family systems is a theory (laughs) of, it's a way of working with multiplicity of self um, therapeutically and clinically. And I think it would espouse a core self from what I've known about it, Hmm. um, which isn't a whole lot. But um, I take more of my stuff from a guy named Dan Siegel. He's a, a researcher and he wrote The Developing Mind. It's a pretty... I mean, it's really, I'm reading that book that's right now. Awesome. I just yeah. started chapter one. <laughs> it is robust. Cool. Because um, I used to teach the development class at the human development class at Seattle School oh, with Doug. That's the class I'm taking. Yeah. <laughs> and lots of synchronicity in the room here, folks. For sure. <laughs> he talks about um, 
the neural pathways that we absorb experiences mm-hmm. any, all the time. There's all these emotional processes, processes that are going on. And I think what I like about that too is he says that memory is not a thing and emotions are not a thing. They're a process. Mm. And so they're always happening. And so things are getting encoded. And it's like these grooves that get going in our brain. And the deeper the grooves get, the more they become a self-state or a state mm-hmm. of mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that he would say, like, we have millions of states of mind, millions of self-states you know, throughout our life. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, a hard concept to, like, wrap our brains around sometimes. Millions me, of self-states. Well, I wow. think, I really do think this is, like, it, it's, I, I had just had the phrase trust fall come into mind around ah. this idea of, like, ex- embracing your multiplicity. I mean, I said that this is what I wrote my most recent paper on, of, like, what is a human being fully alive? And I said it's embracing your unknowability and multiplicity. And, like, that's incredible. Like, it is more alluring in many ways to say, no, wait, it would be awesome if I could figure out who I am because then I know what I'm working with each day and then I can not be surprised and get, you know, be certain. Yes. And that there is, I'm like, there is appeal to that. Like that makes sense to, to desire that. And also I, there's a piece of me that my favorite was also like, and that's just simply like not true. Sure. So like that becomes complicated when it's like you, you actually can't predict, you know, right. as much as you would like to be able to. Yeah. Um, it speaks in my mind to the complexity. Right. Like that's just so inherent, I think, in multiplicity because it brings up this idea of what if we never, yeah, fully know who we are? What if we just get more comfortable not knowing who we right. are? Right. Sounds fun. I think so too. But I mean, it's scary for some people. It's it's like if if you can start to embrace like playing with yourself and being in play with yourself, then that like allows that to happen. Because it's like when you think of playing, you don't know what's going to happen when you begin a game or you begin to engage. It's like the play emerges. You don't, I mean, some kids actually do go in and reenact the same game over and over. Mm. But, (laughs) but yeah, I don't know. So many metaphors. Yeah, I mean, when you say that, it made me, made me instantly think of masturbation, but that's the child inside of me <laughs> playing with yourself. <laughs> Can you learn to play with yourself? <laughs> I mean, that too. <laughs> I mean, there could be a repetition compulsion in that too. Yeah, so. yeah that's totally. true. <laughs> Dan Siegel. Same I mean, thing. he's the, he's this person that is like, for me, wrote the sort of my current Bible in terms of youth mastery called Brainstorm. It's mm. for teenagers, for the teenage mind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's oh, the one. That's, that's, I'm sure that's there's other book. books, but like he's, he's another person I think has made a lot of that stuff accessible. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. so great guy. You know, okay, this is, I don't know if this is taking a tangent, but because we mentioned this person earlier, there was a professor at school that, at my undergrad that in the middle of a class. All of us, all three of us went to SPU, by the way, everybody. Seattle Pacific University. Woo, go Falcons. And, I, and I, I spoke at chapel to last week. I saw yeah, that. Isn't that That's crazy? Amazing. It was a really trippy, nostalgic <laughs> thing. Now. Yeah, Mace was there. Colliding. Yeah. Um, and I had this professor that was an intense professor who one day I came into class. Theology professor? Theology professor. That's all we'll say. The topic was integrity. Okay. And I came Here in we go. and I brought something up to the class and I said, you know, I think this is really interesting 
being there was like integrity is a Christian value. You must be a person of Ooh integrity. Oh boy, was like the theme of the class, and I was like, you know, I don't know what to make of this. Like, I act different when I'm with my parents than I do with my friends. Oh, like, this is a core story for you. Something it is a core story. Yeah. For me. Something about being around different people draws out a different side of me. And this professor came up to me and was like are you a person of integrity? Are you lying to your parents about who you are? Ooh. And like Ooh. got in my face and was like, I think we know who this professor <laughs> is too. <laughs> I think we mentioned this professor before the recording started. <laughs> got in my face and was like, you need to really consider how much of a person of integrity you are. If you are not the same with your parents or with other people or not the same yes. in every room. Oh and gosh. I was like, the shame. The, the shame. shame. Yeah. The shame. Well, and, and the rigidity. Yeah. Right. The rigidity. And it's like, okay, at the moment, I was a young, like, young Christian person trying to be this person. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I feel so guilty. I guess I am not a person of integrity because I act differently with my parents and my friends. But even then, I was like, that's stupid. Like, <laughs> I, there's simply no way. Like, being around someone else draws out a piece inside of me yep. being with Scott brings out a certain part of me being with that's that you have no integrity. If you act different with me than you do with your <laughs> housemates, but I think, that's this, I think there's, there's like a okay, SPU Scott. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was that's like, SPU Scott. that's the myth in many ways. And I'm like, yeah. so true. It was like, what the, uh, and now I want to go back and be like, let me tell you about integrity. Oh yeah. But oh, right. No, you're, you're integrous to your multiple selves. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. It's almost like, actually it might be more in, in trigger. Integral. In, integral. I don't know if there's integral? a word for that. To to actually honor that, no, there's a piece of me that emerges when I'm around my mom, of course. Yes. And and I am in, in that is integrity for me to honor that part of me that comes out with this person. Yep. That's good. I think you want to say more integrous. Integrous? integrous. Yeah. There it is. That <laughs> made me think of youth ministry and there were I would talk with kids and they would be like, yeah, at church I'm like this and at, you know, school I'm like this. And I would ask them really naively like, well, so are you fake at church or are you fake at totally. home? Right. Totally. And they would look at me and be like, it's not like that. You don't yeah. get it. <laughs> and, and I was the one that was like, I'll show them the way. Yeah. But they showed me the way. Like they right. knew about their own multiplicity and were more comfortable with it as 16 year olds mm -hmm. than some pompous know-it-all 30 year old youth pastor who went to school and did all this shit and red velvet elves and red velvet elves. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. Right. Like yeah. te those teens taught me. Yeah. yeah right? I just, these teens, they, they, they do, they know yeah. so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. Okay. So we're already 25 minutes in, but I, I really would love if you, if you would feel comfortable, I, I don't know why you wouldn't feel comfortable uh, talking about this, like metaphor of the curtain and, and playing hide and seek with your kids. I feel like that's a great starting point yeah, for talking yeah. about it's the, it's the very beginning of the book. Yeah. And, um, my, my children who are now 16 and 13, um, at the time were like five and three, six and three. And we were living in an apartment and we just did this game every now and then where, um, they would go in their room and hide, and I would hide in this one specific spot in the, the main living area, and it was behind this like pale yellow sheer curtain, and my feet always stuck out from underneath. There was always like a silhouette of me. You could see me, Obvious. and they would like go around and pretend to check all the different places in the house, mm -hmm. knowing where I was mm -hmm. every time, and then they would come to the curtain, and right before 
they were like about to pull the curtain back. I would yank it aside and yell, gotcha. And they would like scream their heads off and like fall to the floor. We're all like laughing and giggling. And it was just like this fun thing that we did. And that's what came to mind when I was thinking about the title, because I was like, there's something about the hiding and seeking of selves Mm -hmm. that goes on. And there's something about fear in it, right? Mm -hmm. Like they knew that they were going to have the shit scared out of them when they did this every single time. And yet they still signed up for it because there's something of enough safety in it that uh, made it desirable. And I think that's so true. Like when we feel safe enough, we can play hide and seek with ourselves. We don't always feel safe. I mean, I'm having the Winnicott quote of it's a joy to be hidden and a disaster not to be yes, found yes. in my mind of like, yeah, we want to be hidden. And then we really want to find those parts of yep. ourselves. Like yep. that's like those need to be found. Yeah. Speaking of Winnicott, with Winnicott oh, talking about the true self and false self, that's always kind of come up for me with multiplicity because I think he got misunderstood hmm. in the understanding of false and true. Because the false meant just more of like a protector self. And we've often... I think in pop psychology circles, I have heard that phrase, like the false self, that means fake. That means right. not being oh. real. That means inauthentic. Right. And that's part of what I try to take on in the book when I'm trying to reimagine authenticity to say, you're not being inauthentic, right? right like imposter right. syndrome comes about because people think they're being inauthentic instead of like, no, you're just multiple and you're just different in different mm. environments. Mm-hmm. And if people felt okay about that, maybe they wouldn't feel so much shame about feeling like an imposter. Right, right. Oh my gosh. No, that's so true. I mean, mm, I'll just say I, I deal with that with many teenagers. I mean, they're, they're right. prophets in their way. I always say teenagers are prophets, but at the same time, they're so obsessed with authenticity. My daughter and I just watched the Billie Eilish documentary the other night and it was like, it's really cool. And, and also it's very alluring to say, wow, she seems to have had herself figured out by the time she was 15. And right. it's like, it's the documentary does a very interesting job because I mean they're just I they're I feel like the creators are just doing their best to showcase and tell the story of this person, um, but it's like no Billie Eilish is very complicated and a, a kid and and yet it does seem like wow like she had a sense of self that just propelled her into creating this stuff and and so. I hear people say like, I need to be like Billie Eilish. I need to know who I am when I'm 15. I'm like, like, look, I, Billie Eilish did win like 20 Grammys when she was like (laughs) 17 or 18. But like she, she also is confused about who she is. I promise you that, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we do want to have it simplified. I mean, we, Many people. I don't know who I'm talking about, but <laughs> what transference is this? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I did love too that there was some sort of ritual too of like this, you know, playing hide and seek, getting found, and then um, going out to ice cream afterwards. Which feels like <laughs> also for using that as a metaphor, it's like yeah, you just did some deep psychological work. You did hide and seek with yourself. Reward yourself with some ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Life Always. is hard. Yeah. yeah. That might still be an effect. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. I've, after tough listening laps, I, what I'd say, I'm walking to Molly Moons today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening. <laughs> what's so funny about that story, I didn't even connect it until just now, with our teenage kids, like five of them between my wife and I, 
we play hide and seek in the dark mm. somewhat regularly mm-hmm. and I'm always the finder. So I'll go outside into the street and they turn off all the lights in the house. That's epic. And then they find hiding spots and they've gotten like extra about it mm-hmm. where they're like programming their phones to the home pods. And like, I walk in a room and they like make a baby cry sound on their, That's awesome. and I'm just like freaking out. And, that like, is so funny. They just love me freaking out and yeah. I love me freaking out. And so it works. <laughs> But I hadn't connected that to that story of when my kids were younger. Well, yeah, when you when I read it, I I, I connected it instantly because you did a story recently of playing hide and seek with the. Family. Oh yeah, an Insta story. So I was that's like, right. Oh, yep. this is like Brian's been doing hide and seek for a very long time. <laughs> hide and seek is like the simplest game, and yet it is one yeah. of the best games ever. In my, it is just like, I don't know. I used to also back to like these interesting things that used to like demonize. Like I love you saying like there is this interesting energy around being your authentic self and even hide and seek behavior. I used to like feel shame around. And nowadays I'm like, no, like it's, it's not like the most ideal way always to get my needs met. And also I'm really trying to get my needs met and I need someone to come and show me that they love me and love tests will always happen in my life. And like, it's okay. Like it doesn't need to be this like demon thing that you want to be hidden and you want to be found. Right. That's human. Oh, right. I mean, that's, that's another thing about just our friendship. Mason me is like, um, it's, it's, it's been a nice little fun little dance of like, I really, really enjoy it when you tell me exactly what you need, you know, and you're like kind of nervous to do it, but I'm like, that's exactly what I want. Thank you for making it clear. (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's very helpful. Yeah. Um, Makes me think of what you said there was in the category of love. Like, how do we love all these different self states? Mm. Because it's probably different, right? Like, we probably remember like the Five Love Languages book, and right. it's like, well, maybe there's only there's, five, right? There's only <laughs> five. Maybe there's millions, yeah. right? Like, and maybe loving oneself in yeah. one moment in a specific context looks different an hour later in the exact same context. Yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. so complex, right. and I don't think we as a culture like that. We want formula. We want things to be simple instead of like, no, we're just kind of working with what's going on inside of us. And we're trying to regulate ourselves Mm -hmm. in some ways. I just think it really has the same thing to do with curiosity. Like, like I I keep, I I, I made a post the other day, but I, I use this phrase white knuckling it. Like so many times we're like trying too hard. And if something can like, like release or, or less grasping, less gripping. And it's like, uh, or, or just more playfulness, Mm -hmm. you know? But I think it's the safety, right? Like that's the big part. Like the, the, the amygdala, right? You mentioned Mm -hmm. like I, I, in the book, I personify the amygdala. I call her Amy G. Dalla amygdala. (laughs) And she is the brain's smoke detector, right? Right. And like, I think she is a self within us. And so it's like, we sometimes have to talk to our amygdala after we freak out about something. We have an initial reaction to be able to say, okay, that thing that looked like it was that old trauma, it's not actually that old trauma, right? Because trauma messes with our amygdala. It makes it not, it makes it like a faulty smoke detector, right? Right. Mm. Right. Dang. I was talking to someone about this today. Um, (laughs) This is also just bringing to mind of like, I don't know, this is, there's this tension that needs to be walked with like embracing, I don't know, that's the phrase I use, like embracing your multiplicity and that like, I've also been, this mantra has been really helpful for me. It's like, time is on your side. Mm. Like, it's easy to read something like this or think about multiplicity and be like, oh my gosh, I must accept my multiple selves and be like, really like 
jump ship into like being able to like, like for me, like bring my golem into the room. Like I don't need to rush bringing Gollum up to the driver's seat. Like Gollum can slowly make their way up until yeah. I start to realize that they're not so much of a Gollum. Like there, I, I think that there is like this interesting like pacing that can be helpful mm-hmm. as you embrace multiplicity because it is scary. Like yep. it's scary if you've like only allowed a few parts of yourself to come out with certain relationships and then to say, you know, like, okay, I'm going to step out here on a limb and bring this side of me forward. I don't know how you're going to react. Like, right. I've never seen this happen before. Yeah. I, I, It's all of a sudden new territory. Yeah. I feel like it brings up the importance of pacing for therapists when they work with clients, that <sighs> you go too fast and it's unsafe, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. that's, that's a great way to model how we can, if, if our therapists are modeling pacing with us in embracing those selves and those selves coming out in ways that feel safe enough, then we are able to do that in our own relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, you were saying this in the book too, I mean, the book. I mean, I, I think <laughs> I have like the first chapter or two, right? Like, <laughs> I don't think I've read the full book, but, um, uh, this, this idea of like development being sort of this linear start here, end here thing. And you're always developing and growing and maturing and, and much more, it seems like what you're saying. It's like, uh, it's almost like, uh, those early Nintendo 64 games of like an endless world. Now, now that's the standard, like that you can explore, you can go all over the place. It's not like Mario where you go from here to here. It's like, now you can go all these worlds. And something that came up for me recently, because I just got my new phone. This is the first one I've had where I've done the face detection. Mm. And and you're looking at the, the phone when it's starting to recognize your face, and you're, like, moving your head all around. And it's picking up on all the different dimensions of your face. And I feel like that's a, I mean, that's my little metaphor for, like, what therapy feels like. It's like going around and mapping out your brain. I'm like, Mm -hmm. just in there. I don't quite know what I'm exploring. It's here. It's over there. And you're getting a a sense of it instead of being like, I went here. I'm here. I have an understanding of myself. It's over. I went to therapy for a month. I'm done. Such (laughs) a great word. Mapping, right? Mapping. That's, that's what I, um, I got that from Adrian Harris. She's a psychoanalyst in, in New York. Hmm. And she talks about development now might, be more about mapping the self or mapping the selves. And so it's like mm. we literally wander to different territories. Like mm-hmm. in the Gollum case, it's like, yeah, there's the van, but like what if your journey involves at times going to find Gollum? Gollum. No, like Gollum's in a cave. Yeah. No, Gollum is in a cave. Right? <laughs> or, or stopping and pulling over and attending or, you know, like all, all, all these different <laughs> metaphors we have for situations. Yeah. I think too... Multiplicity of self feels like it can get othered really easily because of like the classical uh, definition of multiple personality disorder, or Mm -hmm. nowadays it's called dissociative identity disorder. And I think that sometimes people don't understand the difference between what is diagnosed as DID and what is um, the multiplicity that we all experience. And I think that that's worth noting, at least. Like the dissociation mm-hmm. in DID is severe dissociation that is usually a result of like very early pre-verbal and oftentimes sexual harm mm-hmm. yeah. that causes the self to split because that's what dissociation is, right? Dissociation is our brain's own like strategy to keep us from going crazy. Mm-hmm. So we like mm-hmm. split out 
and Dang. so we don't go crazy. But then it comes with its own problems, just like every defense mechanism, every right. you know way of dealing does. And I think to be able to note, like, it's like the walls between if if the house is a if a, if the self is a house, mm-hmm. and we've got all these rooms that are in the house, and they're the different selves. Like severe, severe dissociation is like such thick walls that like you can't hear the other selves in the other mm, rooms, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't hear the happy yep. self whistling when you're scared and yep. know that it's going to be okay. There's other feelings here. Oh, so it seems like in the extreme sense too, it's like you have no choice but to only exclusively be those selves. Right. And until yeah. people with DID get treatment, they aren't aware of the aware other of selves. Right. Jeez. And so I guess... Am I wrong to say that, like, potentially an appreciation for multiplicity is leading towards a sense of mental health of, like, I'm just opening the doors, letting all these different selves communicate with each other, right. you know? Like, it's, right. yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's the best way to say it, but mental that health. makes sense. Yeah, I think it's... it's <laughs> Hashtag mental health. Hashtag mental health. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's a... It's misunderstood in that way, and then... I think if we can get over like the fear of some sort of othering that happens in diagnosing, unfortunately, like Mm -hmm. there's just so much othering that goes Mm -hmm. on in within mental health and not Mm -hmm. just from the outside toward mental health. Um, And as a clinician, like diagnosing is kind of tricky, right? I have to do it for insurance purposes. There's some people who really benefit from knowing and other people who just feel horribly othered by it, right? Mm -hmm. Like the labeling. Mm -hmm. And so it's a weird category. No. I've had to play certain characters so Mace can diagnose me from it's the DSM. Oh, I heard this yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, Scott pretends to, <laughs> to have conditions. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I have, I feel like I have so many thoughts. This is. <laughs> <laughs> it's bringing up all well, the it's things. Just like, this is like, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm like, this is as I like emerge as like, I don't know what the right word is, but like cultivate my clinical mind, I guess. This is like, a very blaring theme of like, yep, this is, this is like multiplicity of self is like the road that I keep, like everything keeps leading down to this, this part. Um, and I've just been thinking also about like this idea. And I don't know if you talk about this in the book and I'd be curious your thoughts on this. Like not only do we have like multiplicity of self, multiplicity of self in like personality aspects, but I'm, I'm pretty into object relations stuff and just the sense of like, well, we have multiplicity in that we actually like carry particular people inside of us. Like I, not only am I, are parts of myself inside of me, but like parts of my early caretakers mm-hmm. are inside of me. And like, they also, some, sometimes it's like, this isn't, Mace in the room. It's my dad that's in yeah. the room. And that's been really mm. interesting to know of like, wait, <laughs> oh, wait a second. That's me and it's not me. And that's happening right yeah. now. Yeah. No, fully concur with that. Um, the video I just showed you guys beforehand, right? Brian's internalized Brian's father, dad. that yeah. right, kind right. of grisly, you know, sort of shaming mm-hmm. presence like that, I believe is a self within me. And I have treated my kids out of that self and felt my own shame afterwards and struggled with it. And so, yeah, I very much think the, the projections of others that we have interjected mm-hmm. and, and basically made our own because we, how do we not 
internalize our caregivers, right? right? Yeah. And our abusers, right? right? Like we just, it, you interact with somebody and it has a, a particularly strong mm-hmm. um, experiential, like Amy, Amy G. Dalla, the amygdala, like Amy G. Dalla. catalogs it as yeah. significant mm-hmm. and you're going to internalize it. Yeah. And you, the cool thing is though, they can internalize good moments too, mm-hmm, like moments mm-hmm. of repair from rupture or when there was danger and we get to a safe place. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Uh, yeah, I think both of us. Are, I mean, I mean, in terms of friendship, I think that's another big topic for us: dreams, friendship, unconscious, <laughs> multiplicity. Uh, like, I like the idea that if if we are approaching our lives with this sense of multiplicity, that that we could celebrate each other when we start to allow another part of ourselves to emerge. Yes. You're like, oh, this yeah. is really cool. Who's this? Like, mm-hmm. you know. But so often, I think it's it's like oh, we try to dabble in sharing a little part of ourselves with other people, and they're like, that's weird. That's not you. That, what are you doing? And you're like, oh, yeah. okay, well, you Never won't mind. see that person ever again. Like, <laughs> <right>. You know? <laughs> yep, it's not sad. you, not me. Yeah. I mean, those are phrases that I think are just so key. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Harry oh, Stack Sullivan, yeah. have you heard the name? Mm-hmm. Harry Stack Sullivan? Harry Stack Sullivan was an analyst in the in New York City. Write it down. He kind of authored, go back and listen later. <laughs> he kind of authored the not me self-state. And so uh, like, yeah, yeah. it's this idea where I'm I'm constantly listening for this with clients and just friends and myself. Like for mm-hmm. moments when somebody says, That's not me. It's That's like, such a fascinating interesting. moment. Interesting. Right. Like, right. What, no, are we, what are we not wanting to be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you <laughs> Um, it was literally you did that. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm not mad about this thing. It's just this. I'm not mad about it though. <laughs> but I think what you said about Gollum is so true because we think if Gollum. we say, "Okay, that is me," then that is how I will only be known. And so right. I like to be like, "What if it is you?" But what if it's just a smaller, a small like, thing. featured role in your mm-hmm. life? What if it's never going to be the star of the show? Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're kind of more constitutionally like this, and as as you've experienced yourself, but you've said that these are not at all there. Maybe they're there a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I think something that's interesting to what you just said is like, because recently my golem is anger <laughs> in, right. in many realms. <laughs> and, everybody? Pause, everybody. Stop and think about who your golem is. <laughs> your golem. <laughs> Some kind of frustration. Yeah. And I recently, like, it, it's fascinating. You've been in many ways as a friend, like, for what it's worth, like a welcoming object to me coming and bringing out these parts of myself. Hmm. And even you being welcoming, I recently expressed anger and then I got scared by it, mm. even though you were fine. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like, it's like, I'm it is true anger. that when people, yeah. people may respond and be okay with it, but it's also going to take yourself responding and being okay with those parts coming forward. Like maybe just as much. Like I was like, dang, like you're accepting of this, but I don't know if I am. Like, I don't know if I can tolerate this, yeah. you know? Yep. I think that's the trippy thing our brains probably do to all of us, right? It's like, it's, you're not, <laughs> this is going to sound really funny, but like, you're not nervous about the right thing. Like, so for what right. I mean is <laughs> like, what I probably have less tolerance for is like the timid, passive aggressive dancing around an issue, which is, and I have very much, more appreciation and affinity for direct expression of anger. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, I can't do that. And I'm like, no, 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 that's much better than this other thing you're doing. You're sure. dancing around the issue. But I've done this other thing for 26 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Uh, I think I was going to read cause I think it'd be fun. I, I, okay. I think I, I don't know. If it's it's I mean, just say there's a narcissist element of me saying, I feel like I'm a very discerning reader. 
And it, I really do want to say, like, I think you're a good writer, Brian. Thank you. Yeah. And not only was it good writing, but I did, when you were laying out the way you wanted to do it, of like, oh, it's going to be different modes, different characters. Like, oh, yeah, right. This isn't going to work. I, I was like, you're basically giving your, yourself an excuse to have it be a mess. And it wasn't, <laughs> though. I was like, no, no, this is totally working. This is totally working. Yeah. I'm having so much fun because it is exactly, it, I mean, honestly, too, like just to, I think we were talking about this the other night of like, uh, literally last night, like jealousy. Mm. There was definitely an element. I'm like, dang, Brian is really good at this. Like, uh, they're, they're, I'm like, I mean, I'm legit impressed, but like, I, I really wanted to just read something so people could get a sense of what the book will be like. And this is the section titled the fight. And it's you talking about a personality test. So I, I want to read this just to get a sense of the book, but also then talk about it. Um, and, and also we love talking about personality tests and the Enneagram on this. We, we've kind of distanced ourselves from that, but it's sort of baked into the DNA. Um, you never forget your first time, the anticipation, what's it going to feel like? Will I enjoy it? Will I feel better about myself after this? Will I regret doing this? My first time happened my sophomore year of college in my leadership and service course. There were about 26 of us doing it. If it's not clear that this is sex euphemism is referring to personality tests, either you need to become more aware of things or I need to some major improvement in my comedic timing or both. It was the Myers-Briggs, and he was looking really sexy. (laughs) At this point in my life, personality inventories were like urban myths. I had heard of them from movies, the kids smoking behind the gas station, but never encountered one myself. Upon embarking on the 93 forced answered questions, I felt some exhilaration. Someone was finally going to tell me who I was. The questions seemed straightforward enough. Are you often A, a cool-headed person, or B, a warm-hearted person? Well, uh, there's only two choices. Let's see. I feel pretty cool-headed during my freshman year of college when my friend threw a carefully formed ball of mashed potatoes to start an epic food fight in the dining hall. I was there for that food fight. Uh, This cool-headedness brought about my escape through a nearby window once the fight got ugly, thus avoiding any negative consequences of the culinary scuffle. However, I also felt quite warm-hearted the next day when I learned that the pizza slice I launched into the college sphere landed on a cute girl's face. We all flirt in our own ways, okay? How does one answer this? I went with choice B because cute girls were a higher priority than being known as the bad boy. I should have known back then that this was going to friend zone me with way too many of my crushes. This process of answering questions that often did not quite feel true enough went on for close to an hour as I labored through the inventory, excitedly ready for the wizard to give me my identity. E-N-F-J. Energetic, narcissistically flawed Jesus wannabe? (laughs) How perfect. It's like the God I worshipped at the time was guiding me through the test. Extrovert? Yes. Yes. Actually, not sure. Judging over perceiving? For sure. Except maybe not. Let's sit on that for a bit. I know I'm a feeler and don't naturally resort to thinking, but maybe it's best to reflect on that for a second, giving all sides an appropriate voice. Fast forward 20 years. The newest, hottest personality inventory is the Enneagram, and I decided to take it on a date twice, four days apart. Don't worry, I waited at least 24 hours after the first date before texting. The results surprised even me as I was prepared for variability. And I think I'll end there 
as like a cliffhanger. <laughs> if you want to read about Brian's experience with the Enneagram. My that dates. Was, yeah. That was really funny. Yeah. Isn't that good? <laughs> yeah. That was really funny. I had a really fun time reading it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it might be fun to just bring uh, personality tests into this conversation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, they feel so, they, they answer questions that people have. Mm-hmm. and I've never quite felt comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. I don't even know why. Before I even embraced anything about multiplicity of self, I would take them, and I'd be sitting there, and I'd just be scratching my head, and I'd be like, well, uh, I didn't feel this way a couple hours ago, but what do I do right now? And it was always a struggle, and I think it felt important to start the book off with something that is relatable, like people take personality tests, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about the Enneagram. We talk about, talk about the Myers-Briggs or the DISC assessment or which friend are you from friends or... Right. They're all over <laughs> social media. Yeah. yeah. And to be able to like look at it and go, what if it boxes us in and is that what we really need and want? Sometimes mm-hmm. I think we do want to be boxed in because we were a little bit frightened by the world out there of complexity. Yeah. Right. But I think to be able mm-hmm. to widen the landscape a little bit and say, is that really who, who we are? So mm. that's, that's kind of why I began the book with that. Well, whatever the metaphor of the Wizard of Oz is, I mean, that's, that's a, a juicy metaphor in the collective consciousness. Right. You know, we talk about the collective consciousness in the book too, but like um, there is something very rewarding about the wizard stepping out from behind the curtain and saying, ENFJ. Yeah, yes. like, great. Thank you. Here's your heart. Someone finally gets your, it. Yeah. Here I am. Now I know what career path I should choose. Yeah. I've got my core self. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. The test told me. Exactly. Ooh, I mean, that's another thing. I think we've actually done an episode on gurus. But it is like this idea of the guru of like saying, you know, I don't. Yep. You know, giving yourself understanding and self-awareness over to somebody else. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) it's very appealing in some way. Right. There's a comfort Mm -hmm. that I feel when I think about it. And Mm -hmm. then pretty quickly, there's a, oh gosh, like a shudder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gosh, personality test. I feel like, I mean, the Enneagram, this is a a warm subject for us here on the pod. We used to call them (laughs) Enneagram four. Is that you? Um, I, we in the pod did like many, many episodes on the Enneagram mm-hmm. and it was really interesting because Scott and I both thought we were, Scott thought he was a four I, or <laughs> Scott thought he was a five. I thought I was a four. And then we did like what we called an Enneagram blitz and had a bunch of different Enneagram teachers come onto the podcast and the multiplicity of the Enneagram got exposed because it was like some teachers were like, well, you're not a four and other people were like, well, you totally are, or you are not a five. Oh, you totally are. And then it was like, really disorienting, super disorienting. And it became this very fascinating thing of like, well, none of these suffice for the complexity of who I am. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's aspects of it that it's easy language to be like, I had a four moments, you know, or like maybe I have all the nine types in some sense inside me and one's more in the driver's seat. Yeah. But it, 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 that I feel like got exploded for us. If I was like, I'm like, yeah, no, the myth of a type because of that process, it, it really unfolded in a way that was actually, I mean, it was very painful because having something that you identified with and thought was what you were and naming that and kind of 
going back to like security and then to say, wait, maybe I'm not this one single thing was like, well, then what am I? Right. That brings up a question for me. Do you think that you need to have that experience of as part of development to believe that the wizard can give you something and then to have it deconstructed? Or do you feel like the having it mucks up things and doesn't make the development uh, as doable or as smooth? So are you saying you have to have sort of that encounter where you realize there is a man behind the curtain? Sure. The two of you talked about like, oh, this is the Enneagram. And then had that kind of torn down. Do you feel like that's, I don't want to say that's true of everybody, but do you... Do you look at it and go, yeah, that feels right when it comes to development? Or do you look at it and go, gosh, I could have lived without that whole moment oh. where I thought I was this, like, yeah. tried and true Ooh. five or four? Gosh, that's a tough question. I mean, I have a thought. I'd love to hear your both your psychoanalytic thoughts because I, I do think it's playing into, like, this idea of, like, patience with the client. But, like, I, I the, one of the first things that comes up for me was, like literally I was like 24. I know I was living in this house where I was watching the Sopranos. I don't think Jack was born yet, but uh, the Da Vinci code had come out and it was like this hot book. And Chuck Colson, who is this Christian influence author, like wrote a review in Christianity today. And he said, it's not a good book. Uh, I recommend don't reading it. Don't read it. Don't reading it. Not reading it. <laughs> um, and I was like, that really pissed me off. I remember just feeling, I told Marissa, I was like, well, why does he get to read it? He read it and wrote a very intellectual review and he gets to tell us. And I was like, I want to read it. Like, even if it's bad, I want to read it. I want to experience it for myself. And I think there is something that, that, that is like letting someone go on their own journey of like, you can say, oh, don't look behind that curtain. Don't do the Enneagram. It's like, well, they've got to go on their own journey and figure out if it's bad or not. And they have to come to that wizard behind the curtain moment. Do you think we need the wizard or do you think the wizard is inevitable? Oh, this is good. This is good. I'm having so many thoughts because I don't, (laughs) this is really good. Uh, I already know we have to have Brian back on. So (laughs) really good. I don't know. I don't know. I, I want to say you don't need it. I, I feel like there's this part of me that's like, it happens. So it's like, we, we deal with that. It happens. And there's like, I have this philosophy, like, I don't know everything belongs. I just like feel that like it all belongs. Like it happens. So it belongs, but I don't know if it was like, it needed to happen that way for me to come to these conclusions, like back to multiplicity, there is multiple ways in which to come to a conclusion. So it's like, I, I do believe that you could come to like, I I, I think it's like, can go both ways in a sense. Yeah. Let's <clears throat> let's get really lost in the sauce for a second. Cause I don't even know what we're talking about anymore, but like <laughs> multiplicity, I think, but like if we're talking about the wizard and Gollum and a 15 passenger van, and all, all of the metaphors we've it's got on the t-shirt table. with all yeah. those things on it. Do we need the wizard? Seems to me, the thing that comes up is this concept of transference. And to say like, mm. if you're, if you're, if you're the therapist are letting yourself it, it have the yeah. transference, right? saying, yes, the wizard needs to exist so that the wizard can be exposed, mm-hmm. but it needs to be dealt with. So then you can work with the wizard. I yeah. think that's lovely yeah. because okay. I think yeah. of, there is a period of time when I work with 
my patients where they need to idealize me. Yeah. They have to. They have <laughs> yeah. to think I walk on water in order to keep coming back no, until true. they then can devalue me and be like, you're a shitty therapist. And then they tear me down and we have a whole Winnicottian, you know, yeah, you're destroy like, the you're object. Great without stage without, right Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, that, I think that's true. That's yeah. lovely. Mm. I, both of what you each said was... Yeah. <laughs> no, I like. I feel like that. I feel like bringing transference does make a lot of sense there. I'm like, oh mm. yeah, I think yeah, it gets like both. <laughs> I mean, just to take it to a more of a again, a, I guess if we're taking to a therapeutic stage, it'd be interesting to hear both of you comment on this. It's like I think one of the things that saved my life most clearly in therapy was when I started. I was in a job I did not like, but. You know, to Brian's point, before we even started, there was a role I was playing in life, which was like sort of this obligatory, happy-go-lucky youth pastor person Mm -hmm. who generally had had a good life, and so it wasn't it wasn't that hard. I'm like, yeah, I've had a pretty good life. I have nice family, and and now all of a sudden, I don't know what to do with this fact that I hate my job. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to say at the time, but like ultimately, I realized I hate my job, and I hate my life. (laughs) And I would show up to therapy when I first started, and I'd be like. Oh, this, this, I didn't know what I was supposed to do in therapy. This, this, this. And I'm like, and I don't really like my job and blah, blah, blah. And I'll, I'll see you in a week. And then I come back. Now I would say this probably went on for like four or five months. Mm. And it was just like, oh, this, oh, I don't really want to supposed to talk about. Also, I don't really like my job. And like <laughs> a theme like is starting to out. emerge, yeah. you know, and, and my therapist is very, just super casual, self, self-proclaimed Enneagram nine. And, you know, he would just go, mm, it doesn't sound like you like your job. And I'm like, oh, no. I, I was like, always like, I, I'm really grateful. You know, it's like some people don't have a job and, you know, like just like so many excuses. And it really just came to a point where I was like, I could feel comfortable and confident enough to be like, I don't like my job. And it, I, I'm, I want to tie it into multiplicity in the sense of like, maybe there were elements where it wasn't so black and white. Like I did like my job in some ways. But it felt so nice to be able to, like, this is a place where I could be, like, I, 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 liked, I liked you at my job. Yeah. <laughs> You're pointing to <laughs> yourself, Mace. You liked me. <laughs> there were elements I liked about my job. Mace. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was, it was nice to have that space to get in touch with that part of myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The person that was very aggressively dissatisfied at my job. Yeah. But in terms of the patience, it does seem like, that's sometimes people will say, oh, yeah, I went to therapy for a while. You know, um, I went for like three months and it was really great. And I was like, three months? What What? What can you do in three months? <laughs> it's like, it took me like a year to get comfortable. Oh, you're talking about the patience with the patience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Patience yeah. with the patience. Yeah. Yes, good clarifying. I thought we were TS yeah. and it was C. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> Having patience with the patience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or the patient's patience yeah. with the therapist. As they're figuring it out, you know, you're yeah. like, oh, they're figuring it out. And if I overplay my hand they might leave or right sure. right if you if he if your therapist had said to you somewhat like um fervently mm-hmm. i don't think you like your job that's what's mm-hmm. going on here like mm-hmm. and you had been if you had been defensive about that because you weren't ready to, re- ready to let that part of yourself out you might not have come back we don't know well and sure, also true. if i would have been scared i think spooked before you had come to that conclusion on your own he had said that then it would have been like this hand of god telling you something about your life and you wouldn't have been like making coming to that realization on your own time 
kind of thing. Yeah, and Marissa, know? my wife, has a famous experience in her early years of and seeing a, a, a therapist from Seattle School. I'll <laughs> tell you the name later. Who's a I think I know who yeah, it yeah. is. And and very too quickly introduced the idea of divorce. And and it was appropriate, but like, because because basically it's saying, hey, uh, in this space you can you can say that out loud if you want, you know, and like it it scared Marissa, and so she ended the relationship very quickly. But it's like, right. uh, you know, I mean, you're you're like you said, therapy is an art form. You know, that person took a risk that didn't really pay off in that sense. <laughs> um, like it could have gone great. It could have been like, oh, now Marissa feels permission to talk about that. Right. And and. I don't think Marissa at that time as a 24 year old could have thought, Oh, me having a safe place to like attend to this person that may want a divorce might actually make me not want a divorce. It was like, mm-hmm. she, she was very much aggressively wanting to be talked out of it. Like you're supposed to talk to me. Out. That's why I'm here at therapy. Mm-hmm. Talk me out of it. Mm-hmm. Like also let's solidify the, the selves that are present. Don't yeah. talk yeah. about the ones that aren't here. <laughs> yeah. that's, I think that. that's, yeah, I've been in that space a million times in, in therapy. Ooh. No, I mean, I, this immersion in my therapy session recently where I was like, I'm terrified of my unconscious though. Like it's terrifying <laughs> to say yes to this. Like, is it going to swallow me if I start to embrace, yeah. Oh, I have an unconscious and it's like, Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to do it. I, I mean, I, I guess used to be more, way more excited than I am now. Now I'm like, ah, I don't know. It's getting real. It's getting real. <laughs> you can feel more it's of the feeling. It's getting real. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess as the person who's actually a full time therapist in the room, <laughs> how how does that play out for you? Like, how does your understanding of multiplicity influence the way you approach clients? Good question. Or an, an, analizans, as we've been saying. Ah, that's <laughs> a fun word. I said that word wrong for like five yeah. years, probably. <laughs> analizans. <laughs> analizans. I don't know. <laughs> um, I probably was like literally a year into my analytic training before I yeah. learned how to say now it. Now right? I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think for me, it connects to a guy named Philip Bromberg. I don't know if you guys are familiar. I don't. Philip Bromberg. So many people to get familiar with. Yeah. (laughs) He passed away about a year ago. He was in New York also. And he wrote pretty extensively from a psychoanalytic perspective about dissociation and multiplicity of self. Hmm. And his big thing was the dissociated selves need to get into conflict Mm. within us. Right? Mm. And a lot of times we don't feel safe enough to do that on our own. So that's where the therapist comes in and they take on those dissociated selves, and that's where the conflict happens. Because I think conflict needs to happen (sighs) externally first for then to be able to happen safely internally for then be able to happen externally outside the therapy room. Ooh, that is really (sighs) well framed. I hope... I hope many people understood what you just said. I think they did. <laughs> I think they did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say it. I think to experience it is a whole different ballgame. Because if we're doing free association, I think one thing that just came up to me is like, it wasn't therapy, but like, who was I contending with in terms of my inner self and my lack of sense of multiplicity in my early fights with my wife? You know, I, I still think back to, I'm like, oh, I was, I was angry at Marissa and I was fighting Marissa and I was doing this thing. Like how much of it though was I doing this transference of like, there's still things I need to fight with internally. Sure. And I'm mm-hmm. throwing that on Marissa. Right. And she probably is doing the same to me. 
but partially because you maybe couldn't tolerate the internal conflict. Right, so it had right. to land elsewhere, but it wasn't mm-hmm. the best place for it to land, right? right? It needs to land, I think, in an asymmetrical relationship, right? Mm. The, the symmetrical relationships are like friendships, romantic partners. I think we all need those, mm-hmm. but we also need asymmetrical relationships. Parents, therapists, oh, yes. bosses, yeah. mentors yeah. that are yep. bigger than us, so mm-hmm. to speak. And we can kind of bump up against them and they Dang. can kind of hang in there with us. Oh, that's a really, that's a that's very good framework. So Cause it good. is, I mean, it is like this interesting thing of like, I've been reading beyond and I'm like, it is something about like those beta elements to alpha function, like someone who will play the role of being yeah. in the alpha function. And like, you don't necessarily want your friends or your like those people to be in that role. Cause it's raw parts, right? It's raw things. They don't want to be in those with. roles. Exactly. But that, that brings up just recently the, the tension I feel sometimes of being the, asymmetrical relationship. As a pastor. Yeah. No, yeah, that's... Like holding that space for my either leaders or students who want to yell at me or chew me out, and I'm like, I can't take it personally, and I mostly don't, but like, well, I do, but I but I don't express that with them, you know, but that's the challenge. It's like I have to find somebody else to go like vent to and be like, gosh, this is hard. I've been absorbing all this tension and yeah. anger. Um, I think it's nuanced because yeah. I have clients where they push and they push and there are points when I have to start to let them know of my subjective experience of them yeah. so that they can, they yeah. can then incorporate that self somehow, but mm-hmm. it is nuanced. You kind of do it by feel and you mess it up and you mm-hmm. trial and error it. And yeah. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, that seems to be one of the really exciting things about creating a environment with a client or a ther or an element, whatever we want to call them. Um, <laughs> Of, of like, is there a trust where you can do that? Yeah. Um, I mean, like for Mason, me, it seems like there's a trust. Like my therapist, I think can mostly at this point, try a lot of different things. And I'd be like super open. I think in the early days I would have been really thrown off in the I, first six months. I feel like I've tested my therapist to the wits ends. <laughs> Just constant You've tests. Tried everything. I've tried everything. <laughs> You've tried everything. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to try this this week. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, my, my therapist is like gone every other week for two months right now. And I just told her this morning, I was like, you're That's the bad terrible. mother that keeps leaving me. That's terrible. You know, I'm like, so get that out there. but we've been you. working together for years. And yeah. so there's that space where we can be playful yeah. about it. And she can know that I mean it. No, yeah. for sure. Oh, it's it's just interesting i don't know what it's like for you guys and i mean and we we can be in the the wind down zone right now Mm -hmm. um but it might be that in i uh, well uh i guess i was probably raised in i definitely was raised in a christian environment and I, I looking back, it's like it's interesting to think about like American Christianity and evangelicalism and how in so many ways it's tied to honestly like straight up Disney, like literally, you know, like this sense of fantasy and disassociation almost or um, and in my family, it's this uh, it's this thing of don't say that it's that's mean. Which family nice. are you talking about? My family of origin, not my current family that I'm the dad of. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I am the dad of a family. <laughs> <laughs> I am the breadwinner. I'm not actually at this point right now, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like it's like don't say that. That's mean. Like mm-hmm. a general thing of like, oh, this thing that comes up as a 14 year old. Oh, I didn't even really give this much thought. It was like I'm at the dinner table. This is what I said. 
Oh, don't say that. Yeah. No, that's not very nice. You know, and it's like, I, I just love to get into a state where you can be with people that are sort of playing by the same rules. I'm like, no, it's, it's not even mean. It's like, or, or that's weird. I I've heard that a lot in my life. Like that's weird. It's like, yeah. I love that we're doing all these 15 passenger van gone. Like we have a nice set of like, I mean, just in this short time, we've created a, a world where we're all sort of agreeing on some metaphors and we have a general understanding of what those things mean. And we're speaking in that language and it's yeah. very exciting. Nobody's like, oh, Brian, uh, you know, when you're on no small lane, don't, don't bring up 15 passenger van. That's weird. Our, our listeners don't want to hear that. That's weird. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? But I think it's about finding that, like, if you have the shared language, you have something to build on, right? Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I mean, I think we have to learn, like, if, if something feels mean to somebody, we have to kind of, like, sort out, what are we going to do now? Right. You know, like. Totally, totally. Is that, you know, and I'm not saying you weren't saying that, but I think my my sense of like freedom and desire for freedom. I share that with you. And then something in me kind of goes, Oh gosh, like how do we make sure that we're not just running around harming people all the time? Right. Right. It's like, you have to know your impact and like, like, and maybe for whatever people that they think it's weird, like it costs them a lot to engage in this, Mm -hmm. like the kind of metaphorical thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it costs them a lot. And I guess I would say generally it seems that for all of us, we, we would like to hope for potential play states for people. Mm. <laughs> you, yeah. Know, yeah. you don't want to force it on someone or make them, but like, you're just like, we can be playful. Yeah. No, I mean, it's been interesting, like reading some like old readings for school, which like Melanie Klein, Melanie Klein, which like <laughs> has some very fascinating stuff. And I'm like, I, I, I just kind of want to play with this. Cause like I could go down the road of being like, well, this is homophobic in this section mm-hmm. or this mm-hmm. is weird. Her projecting these things, but I'm like, I don't really want to do that with this. I want to play with this. Like mm-hmm. it's, this is just like, I've come up with this metaphor of like, you've, you've gone into a playroom. They've handed you this very strange toy that you do not understand. You do not know what it does. Sometimes it like punches you. Sometimes it does things. A toy that punches you. Or just like jumps out at you. But it's like, you could go and you can engage and play with it for like 45 minutes and then decide you don't want to play with it or not. But it's like, it's not going to, I just said it punched you, but it's not going to hurt you. (laughs) It's a cute punch. It's It's a a cute cute punch. punch. It's a soft punch. Um, I had a thought while you were talking about your family of origin that I don't know if this is, I just was thinking of it and I just want to say it like thinking about multiple parts of ourselves. And this is coming up because I had a recent realization of like moments in my life. And I was thinking of your family of like, Oh, we don't do that here. Like I think moments in our early up, Uprising, whatever. Uprising. Uprising. I, I didn't know upbringing, that was the word. <laughs> Uprising! <laughs> I am a teenager. <laughs> I will overthrow my parents. <laughs> so true. We experienced something, and then we actually, like, I'm aware I literally told myself, I won't be like that, or yeah. I won't allow this thing out. So, like, I've promised myself, actually, mm. not to let this thing out. Mm. And now here I am saying, Oh, I want to go back on that promise, but like 
whoa, I promised myself at that young age. And so that's why it's become Gollum is because I told myself I never would, you know, like Gollum literally, I cast Gollum out. Well, and by proxy, you promised people in your life. Yes. Right. Yes. So I think that's the hard thing about as we let more selves come to the forefront, we have to like re-educate all the people in our lives because they're like, you're, what are you doing? Right. Like that's not you. Like you said earlier, we have to kind of have, if we want it to go well, I think we have to have some grace and like openness to like them receiving us in a new way that yeah. may not feel comfortable to them. I love that yeah. re-educating yeah. people because you're, you've learned and you're like, Oh, Hey everybody, just so you know, I know I promised this thing. Like even the, even the guys you and I were talking about earlier, like we've had, I've had this group of guys for years and years and years. And I think I've always said we'll be together forever. We're always going to be on trips and retreats and, and and it's like I think a lot of us almost collectively are like I'm probably not actually maybe no more retreats, but it is like gosh we I I, I kind of made a promise it's almost like a wedding it's like I think I said we'll always do this till mm-hmm. the day I die mm-hmm. like we'll be doing we're gonna be eighty someday and it's like uh you know my twenty four year old made that self made that commitment yeah and but you know you have to reeducate it's like I I have to go out yeah as an ambassador of myself and be like here he here <laughs> A, a declaration is now being made from <laughs> Scott Ronalds. <I'm> like, <laughs> sorry how it impacts you. Um, well, if if it is in the spirit of wind down, I guess I, 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 I guess I would be very interested in hearing you. I don't want to put you on the spot, but like, I guess I am putting you on the spot. This is the podcast to <laughs> put people on the spot. I mean, what, what, why multiplicity? Like, why was this so important for you to write a book about? Like, yeah. it obviously, it obviously took a lot of, of uh, time and creativity. Sure. Uh, you know, I was like, I, again, I was very impressed with the writing. Yeah. I think what I landed on, and I, I finished the book in this area because I'm like asking that same question, mm-hmm. why? And um, there was one of my instructors in psychoanalytic training who said, we write about what we struggle with. Mm. And so it was like this moment of like, oh, Brian, you suck with your own multiplicity. Mm. Like, of course you want to write about it. It's hard for you. You, mm. you struggle with getting dissociated. And I talk about like my, my biggest fear is being played the fool, mm. right? And in, encountering other people's inauthenticity. And so I think like leaning into multiplicity and even writing about it helped me see it as a little bit of a healing balm for those moments when I think someone's being inauthentic with me and I can go, maybe they're not. Like maybe they're just employing a different self state. Yeah. Maybe it's yeah. not all about me, right? No right, right, right. Brian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and maybe that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And yeah. so I think there was something in it where I was just struggling with it and that's what it, that's what came out of it. Hmm. Dang. Oh, I love that. I think, I think it's like you're, you've brought me, I'm gesturing towards Mace, everybody. There, there's like, you brought me into this zone lately of listening lab of like just paying attention to the vibes you get when people are talking. And it's like, I just feel like that's that. Of I'm not, I'm not like judging Brian. Like you have, you have spoken true, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel that I feel like that's, that feels so true. It feels like a very authentic book, you know? Cool. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, I feel lucky to be able to sit here and talk with you both about it like, <sighs> and, and to just share and hear and be curious together. Guys, this is super cool. When does the book come out? Well, I'm self-publishing with Amazon, so oh, cool. I'm in the process of getting the final edits done, and then I get it over to someone who's formatting it. So there's no like launch date or anything. I'm okay. kind of like trying to market it myself. I like 
it really could be the kind of thing where like it's just something I'm very proud of and I make and it yeah. doesn't sell a bunch or you know I'm gonna I have plans like really stupidly grand plans to, like send it to Oprah and other oh people gosh, yes. and just see where it goes because I think people could benefit from it um, and if not then I hope you know somebody writes something that will be on a larger scale so that people can talk about this more yeah yeah um I was just looking at a text when Brian was talking. <laughs> I heard were, what he said, but like I got there. Your multiple, some self of you disappeared. I'm not going to pretend I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, I think that's, I think, I think, I, I, I mean, we did an episode on synchronicity. I think there's something about like, we, we talked, we, we have access at this point. I always say to people that are just one step ahead of us, people that are already launched and have written like five books generally we don't have access to, but like there are people that are like written a book or two who are just getting out there and it's like, Oh, we reached out and they actually responded. But like, I feel like I I'm saying this almost, I, this is a, I didn't realize this is where I was ending up in this thought process, but like we're in a similar category of like still trying to get some content out there. Mm-hmm. I don't know where Mason and I are heading in terms of no small thing, but you mentioned obviously a center. We have ideas and hopes and, a book and for Brian and other things. And it's like, we're in it together. I feel like yeah, we're, we're talking about multiplicity and it's like, this is at the very least it's fun. Well, it and is. I think, I mean, I, I don't know because we're a TSS alum here and I'm like, it's in the room. I, Dan Allender once said this thing in a lecture that like got me. That was like, if you enjoy this thing, if you are like a consumer of something, you need to create also what you're consuming. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this is interesting. Like we, I'm a consumer of podcasts and it's like, I need to create. And it's like, you're a consumer of books and it's like, you're, you're doing the work of creating, of, of participating right. in what you're involved in. I'm like, I think I got to re- write a book, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or me inspired by Brian. <laughs> There's a book writer inside each of us. There's Love a book it. writer. <laughs> um, okay. Is this, is this the true wrap up? Yeah, I mean, I have, I've, I've something, uh, a little something. I'll read to Brian's. I think to end. Does that sound good? I don't know. It's just nice. To, I, I don't know why I do this, but I, when we ever have guests who've written something, I, I guess this is a, this is a, a multiplicity, <laughs> narcissistic side of me. That if I had written something, I'd, I would love the idea of reading some, someone reading, reading my back writing. to me what I wrote. Yeah. I feel like that's a nice thing. Um, okay, so if we're winding down, or this is it. Like, do you want to have any final thoughts, Brian? I've just really enjoyed it. So fun. Yep. Yeah. I just, I just, I just think, I, I think two years ago, this interview or conversation wouldn't have gone the, the same. True. I would have been nervous. I would have been anxious, Mace. Yeah. We've gotten <laughs> a lot more comfortable just playing. And um, I think we were always like, here's the point of the conversation. We did have some sort of rigid show notes. And we're like, this is, the, I mean, the, the clearest one was like, <laughs> Lily, <laughs> we were doing an Enneagram seven episode and I was like, Oh, let's just talk to Lily about how she's doing in school. And Mace was like, this is an Enneagram seven episode. We we're talking about Enneagram seven. <laughs> I was like, <gasps> I we can laugh about it now. 
<laughs> um, okay, quick tease to folks who've made it this far, listeners out there. This is the perfect setup, by the way, for what we're about to do for the podcast. Oh. Which is... Oh, oh. What? Also, 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 and, and, and. Yes, I, we're <laughs> going to be doing a, a deep dive in... Gosh, it's going to happen. ...the album Grey by Moses Sumney, starting, which I don't know if you know this album. We should play Brian Multiplicity that one Multiplicity is, we should, is a humongous theme of this album. Huh. So, um, that is coming up. We're about to take a detour next from week? our, yes, next Holy week. We start it next week. Um, a dissect podcast series on gray by Moses Sumney. So get pumped, get pumped. Listen to Moses Sumney. Okay. okay. We'll end with this little reading from Brian, his book. What's the title again of the book? The curtain. The curtain. Okay. Th- th- this is, this is just picked out at the end of one of the sections. So it's not like the end of the book, but it's a nice little, I think a little, ending to this conversation. Thankfully we evolve as humans and our communities and our minds build on what's been said and studied and discovered. Most relational psychoanalysts today, myself included, have a more nuanced understanding of Freud's theories of what drives and motivates us. We now might say that our desires revolve around one wanting to connect to ourselves and others mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually, and two having freedom to express bad feelings in ways that can protect us. In other words, these desires, which again are most often not conscious, are centered around our safety. We all have a need to feel safe. We feel safe when we're not left completely alone, and we feel safe when we're given an appropriate amount of space. When these needs are not being met, our brilliant, often unconscious minds send signals to ourselves and others that the danger that uh, uh, others about the danger that we are experiencing. This is a helpful piece of our ability to survive. However, like nearly everything in life, it can all go terribly bad if the situation is just right or wrong, as it were. I think that's a good ending to this. It's a little ambiguous, which is, I think, what Brian was doing in this book. But um, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I, I would love to have Brian back on ASAP after our <laughs> Moses Sumney deep dive. Uh, that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>